the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and we have two guests with us today because we're doing a little bit of a roundtable. First of all, first off, our kind of now regular co-host, Nadia Oxford. Yay, co-host. Woo! And also returning guest who I always bring in when I want to talk on weighty subjects that kind of go across the entirety of the RPG genre because he knows so much about the medium and game design in general. Steve Tramer, welcome back. Hi. It's nice to be back. And the reason that I've summoned you two here today is because we're going to talk about RPG boss fights, which has been an idea that I've been kind of kicking around for a little while now. I think Steve and I may have even been like, hey, we should totally do that, like make a mental note of it on a previous episode. Yeah, it was the last episode I was on. Oh, yeah. Okay. So there we go. And so I've just been kind of keeping this one banked for a rainy day. Well, it's a rainy day. So (laughs) let's talk about RPG boss fights, which I feel like sort of in a lot of ways define how we remember an RPG because usually they're the most memorable parts of the game or and or the most frustrating if you're playing Dark Souls, which I'm playing (laughs) Dark Souls 3 right now. So let's talk about RPG boss fights. Um, I suppose the first question that I have is, why even have RPG boss fights? Um, Steve, what do you think? Why do we have RPG boss fights? So I actually put a lot of thought into this. Um, And there are really two types of RPG boss fights. There are boss fights that are about the narrative of the game. um, And those are the majority of them, like in any good RPG. And then there are the ones that teach you things about the battle system um, or about the other mechanics of the game. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example of each of them. I mean, we're going to go through like a bazillion story examples. Um, But the, like the Final Fantasy series is actually pretty good at like the first boss fight that kind of teaches you some of the game mechanics, uh, like Mist Dragon in Final Fantasy IV. The tutorial yeah. boss. Yeah, the tutorial boss. That kind of teaches you a little bit about how individual character skills work. Or um, trying to remember the first boss in Final Fantasy V that really requires you to use the job system smartly. And it might it might actually be Garula. I think it's the... Isn't there a, a monster that like just starts speeding up yeah, steadily? That's, that is Garula. Yeah, because you have to be kind of smart or it'll just bulldoze you yeah that's really the the one that teaches you how to kind of that you have to play around with the job system and able to be able to get through boss fights i.e put on your monk costume (laughs) (laughs) no it's actually was it the i think it was the four job fiesta where i rolled monk at the very beginning and that was gorilla is a very hard fight with only monks Hmm. Well, but the monk has um, more HP and stuff in the early going. That's why it, I was having an easier time uh, with the monk. Yeah, it does. But also you're, you have the charge ability and that's like your best way to yeah. deal damage. And when the boss is speeding up as you damage it more, that makes it really hard to land hits. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, what is the best uh, party combination for Garula? That's an excellent question. I think it actually is like a spread of 
you need a uh, white mage, black mage. I think it actually is the standard FF1 lineup. White mage, black mage, monk, and knight. Because you have somebody who can tank the damage, and then you have uh, healer and damage dealers. Well, yes. Uh, for story purposes and pacing purposes, bosses are definitely very useful. Um, to that, I would add, I think that boss fights... Um, are kind of an opportunity to make the player use everything in the boss uh, in the battle system, mm-hmm. uh, especially in turn-based RPGs. Because up until that point, like let's say you're playing your kind of standard dungeon crawler, and through most of the dungeon, you're kind of saving up everything that you have, like um, hoarding MP, not using too much when you're fighting various enemies because you don't want to waste it all um knowing that there's probably an enemy out there um and yeah maybe there's a place maybe there's probably a save point where you can like stop and recharge and everything but in general like you are kind of being really conservative when you're fighting regular enemies but when you get to a, a boss that's the part where you usually cut loose and use like all of your like best abilities all of your like meanest combos like everything that you you basically have. So um, a good kind of microcosm of this is Super Robot Wars, where at the beginning of a level, you have uh, this will stat, and the will slowly but surely builds up throughout the course of the, mat- of the battle um, through abilities or by killing enemies or whatever. And as your will stat goes higher, you unlock more and more powerful abilities, and these abilities take up like... Uh, spell points and they take up energy and so you really want to save your like absolute best nastiest um op combos for when you're fighting the boss that invariably shows up at the end of the level like you might go okay well i'm going to use the ability that gives me 1.5 times uh attack plus i'm going to um make sure that i get a guaranteed hit on it Plus, I'm going to use the combo that, like, teams me up with, like, three other, like, robots so that we can all hit it at the same time. Oh, and by the way, I'm also going to use the ability that lets me use another turn. Or lets my character go again in the same turn so that I can do it twice. You don't usually use that for the regular, for a regular enemy. <laughs> I figured. No. <laughs> but it feels good to do that. It feels satisfying to use those, like, really big like powerful combos because you're like yeah i've been waiting for this Uh, it's the big red button of the rpg world and you just go bam let's go so kind of cutting loose and having fun with the battle system so i think that there's that was that's a really interesting thing to say because i think that that was like the main design philosophy especially of jrpgs like up through into the late 90s or early 2000s where kind of started to flip a little bit where the games that were the most interesting and people got the most into are you're required to regularly use those abilities even against some types of ordinary dudes just so that you can get through to the boss yeah i've seen that from certain rpg uh designers um i know that uh, for example the designers of uh cthulhu saves the world and uh over at zeboid are like, uh, well, we we want to make it so that you have an incentive to use all of your items and all of your abilities rather than hoarding them throughout the game. And I think that's a perfectly decent approach uh, to design 
But one of the things that I think actually works really well about, say, a game like Persona 4 is that you you slam through a uh, a battle like really fast, right? Like the best are the best turn-based RPGs are where you can just knock out these battles within like 30 seconds to a minute. Um because that keeps the pace going, right? It keeps keeps things kind of moving and then, then when it's when you get to the bat to the boss battles when things slow down considerably and then you start using your brain and you start being a lot more tactical. Um certainly like there's no problem in encouraging people to use the full range of their abilities to make a, a battle go by really fast. But I think that it's not necessarily a requirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that just when I think of RPG ba- uh, bo- boss battles, I think of like kind of an ascension. Uh, specifically, I think Chrono Cross did this really well. Uh, you could not really level up by just beating up regular schmucks. Uh, you could it to a certain point, but you at a point you would stop. You would hit a wall until you beat the boss, and then you were allowed to level up a little further, just to kind of get more powerful. Uh, Brisby Default is like that in a way too, where like that's how you really get your your powers, like your asterisks by beating uh, beating bosses and whatnot. Mm, yeah, and of course, in a, in a regular, even like a bread and butter JRPG, it's the bosses that give you like huge. Uh, uh, bonuses of experience and, and gold. So that's really your your quickest way to, to level up. Yes, uh, a boss fight will get you just a ton of XP. Usually they're sitting on like some really good piece of gear Yes, that you inevitably use um, for the rest of the game. If you're like playing like, well maybe not the rest of the game, but for a good chunk of the game. If you're playing Diablo, a boss is like a big old... Uh, loot balloon uh, a loot pinata just <laughs> yeah. bam explode and all of the candy comes out yeah and it's especially satisfying you're like ooh, yellow <laughs> yeah that's a that's another great thing that bosses are good for is that they kind of act as like gates progression gates where you get the equipment or the levels that you need to kind of go through the next area that's and that's a little more important in games that are more open than like traditional jrpgs and stuff um Mm -hmm. but that's the other mechanical thing that they're really good for not just learning the systems but then giving you access to the stuff that you need to be able to advance um mostly just that the the bosses and the scenarios that kind of lead up to those big confrontations at the end like they they tend to have really good experience or quest line benefits and because the first fallout game is so wide open like when you start it you can literally go anywhere and do anything it's just a bad idea too um like that's a great that's a great way to cue players that maybe you should go do this other thing where there's where there's a a boss character that'll give you some levels and a quest item nadia what else do you think uh boss fights kind of bring to the table uh, when one is done, that's your cue to breathe easy for a bit. <laughs> Unless they, they, <laughs> they throw something at you and you got, like, another one. And like, oh no, how could you do this to me, game? What? Two boss battles in a row? That's not cool. This is unprecedented. Or going back to Super Robot Wars, they'll be like, oh, there's a boss. Okay, I'll throw, like, a lot of stuff into this boss. Oh, and so you start going, huh, this boss isn't that hard. Crap. There's yeah. going to be, yep, there are the reinforcements. <laughs> there it is. Okay. 
<laughs> well, I hope, uh, do I have anything left? I don't. Oh, this isn't good. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, gives you a chance. And normally you also get, um, you like kind of get a reprieve and also you sort of get to move into like the next, the next downtime area, the next town area or whatever. So you could stock back yeah. up if you need to. Exactly. Yeah. And then bosses do one other thing that's really, that really helps an RPG. They look cool. They They're do, fun to they, fight. They, They're big. And you get the special music. You're like, oh man, look at that guy. Yeah, you get it, really cool music if it's a good RPG. Yeah, and that's if it's actually a really a good point. special special boss. You get the really really special music. That's how really you know fancy it's a big music. deal. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like you know that you're playing a good RPG, or like, sorry, a lot of the best RPG music is boss battle music. Absolutely. Because they want you to get really revved up for it. Yeah, 100%. Like, boss battle music is almost uniformly the best music in any RPG I can think of. Same. And they're big. They're really big. And you want to use all of your best spells on them so that you can pop them and collect all of that fancy loot. And then if in the case of Dark Souls, like, they're just full-on set pieces. They're They're easily the most memorable parts of the game, usually. Like beating a boss in Dark Souls, like fighting a boss in Dark Souls, like you're just the 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 best bosses in Dark Souls just feel totally overwhelming at first because they're so strong or they're so big or there's just or they are just like hard to even get near. And then when you finally figure them out and you beat them and you take them down, oh my god, it feels so <laughs> good. Yeah, and the dark the Souls games, like uh, Demon Souls and the Dark Souls games, especially like beating a boss is really satisfying. Not just because they're super hard and super big, and it's super cool to take them down. You also get the bonus that you get nowhere else in the game, which is your humanity gets restored, which is a huge deal in those games, especially in the first game. Um, yeah, especially in Demon Souls, the the punishment for death in that game. Because um, I imagine a lot of Souls players now haven't played it. It was. I think it's 40% of your health or something ridiculous like that. Yeah, okay. You know, for I thought for some reason that that was in the original Dark Souls. Like, I remember that, but that wasn't the case. No, it was the original Dark Souls was way less punishing. Yeah, the original Demon Souls, though, if you died, you lost a huge chunk of your health bar. Okay, so I wasn't crazy. No, you I were did not, remember that. You were not crazy. <laughs> All right. Um,. So let's talk a little bit about early RPG boss fights. Um, one of them that I kind of put in the notes was, I mean, is it kind of fair to call like the Balrog Memoria one of the like kind of early significant boss fights in RPG history? Yeah. So like, um, all I was actually thinking about this too. All the roguelike stuff. So there are in the early roguelikes of the eighties and into the early nineties, there are unique named enemies, which essentially all function as bosses. And like, those are all really memorable and cool. And um, like we were talking about, they really require you to kind of bust out every skill and item you have in order to get past them to whether you're going to kill them or evade them. And then the final bosses in those games, like the Balrog and Moria are just super crazy like, they summon bazillions of dudes to run after you. You have to be, like, max level with all of these crazy artifact equipment to take them down. And it is it is monumentally satisfying to be able to beat a... To beat not just any unique monster, but especially to be able to beat the final boss in any of those games. Like, it is 
if you are able to do that, you are a crazy person. And you've also <laughs> probably invested tens and tens of hours into those games. I will never finish Mori in my lifetime, so I can't say that I've ever personally fought the Balrog. I just know that it is kind of infamous in like roguelike circles for being one of the um yeah, I don't know, nastier, like beating beating the Balrog's an accomplishment, I suppose. Yeah, like NetHack, like I've never actually finished a game of NetHack, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that NetHack has like really great bosses in it, except for Medusa. Like Medusa is an awesome NetHack boss. Um, but yeah, Moria and Angband are the two that are, two roguelikes that are the most super combat focused. So they tend to have the craziest and hardest enemies in them. Which is why the Balrog would be such a monumental achievement to finish it. Like I don't, I don't think I know anyone who's ever finished that game. I was reading a story in, um, I, was, I think the book was Dungeon Hacks um, by David Craddock, who has been on the show before, and he said that he related the story of how somebody managed to take out the Balrog because he was able to do like a tiny percent of damage through a wall. Oh, that's crazy. So he had the Balrog like against the wall and he was able to basically do chip damage until it died. Oh, that must have taken forever. Those things have insane amounts of HP. But this was the mid 80s and he happened to be in the same like computer lab as the designer of the game because this was like universities, right? So he was just like, yeah, I totally took out the Balrog. This is how I did. And the designer went, oh. And then he went and fixed it. <laughs> and then he went and the damage to the wall thing. I've, I imagine he 100% did. So later on, like it was a couple years later, 1986, um, we had Dragon Quest. And everybody kind of remembers that as the kind of the earliest example of the classical JRPG. But yeah, not a lot of bosses. Maybe like four? Yeah, like a a very handful of them. And the only ones that people really remember are the Green Dragon and then uh, the Dragon King or the Emperor or whatever he was. Oh, there's the Golem, too. Oh, the Golem, golem. yeah. And the Axe Knight guarding uh, Erdrick's armor in the town of, I think it's Hawksness? The ruined town. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, but then don't the the Golem and the, the Axe Knight then become regular enemies? Like, a little later in the game after that? The golem doesn't. The golem only shows up in that one spot. But you're right about the Axe Knight. Yeah, it's been a bazillion years since I played Dragon Quest. Dragon Warrior. I I don't... How do you guys feel about when a boss becomes a regular enemy in a game? Uh, I think it's awesome. (laughs) I think, yeah, I think it's pretty cool to be like, oh man, look at how far I've gone, I've come. (laughs) And then maybe get creamed again and you're like, oh. But, uh... I, I think it's a pretty cool way to let you know that you are now badass. Yeah, like it's really good at signaling that kind of progression. Like especially if a an early game or mid game boss kind of shows up way towards the end as just a regular old chump that you get to plow through. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it's a, certainly a a good way to reuse assets if nothing else, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> can't yeah. fault them for that. One of the examples that I found pretty interesting was um, Final Fantasy, um, the original Final Fantasy, which right at the beginning, you fight Garland. Mm -hmm. And Garland was almost kind of a, not a send up or a parody, but 
it's almost like a final boss from uh or one of the one of the bosses from Dragon Quest, right? One of the later ones. Um in that he's like guarding a princess and everything. He's like your kind of typical RPG boss at that point. Yeah. But he's the first boss. Yeah. Um, and he kind of and sets up so things. it's so in a way like you're doing this little mini quest and then you fight kind of the first boss in the game who would be maybe the final boss and say the original Dragon Quest and then that's kind of the a gateway into a larger world. Yes. No, that's actually really a really that's a really good point and that's also kind of how the opening of Final Fantasy is structured too. Like you go and you fight the boss guy and I think the great thing about that dungeon is you don't even have to explore it. You could just walk straight in and go right to him. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you rescue the princess, you get that key item you use at the very end of the game, and then you cross that bridge and it gives you the opening cinematic, which is like, yeah, you did the you we started this game with you doing the thing you would do at the end of pretty much every other game. Yeah, it's kind very of, interesting kind of cool. narrative structure. Very ambitious for um, an RPG at that time and kind of suggested what um, the series would eventually become. <clears throat> like people don't remember the original Final Fantasy as being pretty basic, but I always thought that was pretty cool. And then of course Garland mm-hmm. shows up at the end of the game and he shows yes. up in Final Fantasy IX, though in a somewhat different form. He does? Yeah, I totally right. don't remember that. He's like in all. a spaceship. Cause <laughs> yeah, he, that's so he comes from like a spaceship and like, uh, what? Zidane, or the the main character in Final Fantasy Nine, um, is his name Zidane? Yeah, it is. It's Zidane. Um, but yeah, they're like monkey people from space or something. It's it's very. Um, people are going to be mad because I'm like re- misremembering the story, but I just remember that Garland had a pretty badass spaceship and that you were special in one way or another. It's, I remember it's... the special thing, but I don't remember Garland at all. Well, that was the whole thing was. So much of Final Fantasy IX was about was kind of like um, appreciating the original Final Fantasy. I know, which is why it's so weird that I don't remember it. Like that's there are some things I remember from that game, but that totally slipped my mind. Back when I played it in two thousand, like all of that, like kind of all of the tributes to the original Final Fantasy went completely over my head because I hadn't played the original Final Fantasy at that time. But um, it was only later that I was like, oh, yeah. And then they have the, the dwarves that are going rally-ho. And they have Garland. And, oh, that's why, like, random chaos guy shows up at the end of the game for no apparent reason. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the way it would have worked in an early Final Fantasy game. Exactly. Final Fantasy, the original Final Fantasy also had uh, the four fiends. Yes. And um, kind of Nadia, a... you, oh, you finished the original Final Fantasy, right? Heck no. Heck no. <laughs> uh, I have tried so many times to finish the original Final Fantasy on so many platforms, and I just find it too tedious. Uh, I appreciate what it's done, and I've gotten quite far, but then I, I wind up in that hall of, like, hill gigases or whatever it is, and I get hit by a random encounter every three seconds, and I just be like, you know what? You know what? Forget this. But I, I, I understand, like, what the Four Fiends are all about, and I actually took them on in uh, Final Fantasy IV, uh, the After Years, God help me. Because they show up there too. And the four fiends um, became pretty like they became iconic in kind of the 
the Final Fantasy lore, and they're another thing that shows up again in Final Fantasy Nine. Yeah, they show up in the one, final level. Yeah, they show up in one, four, nine, and do they show up in two or three at all? Because I don't think they do. I couldn't tell you because three is my least favorite game of the series, and oh. two always kind of scared me off. So, yeah, I never finished either of those because they're not very good. <laughs> no, but. They definitely, they definitely are figuring heavily in one and four. Yeah. So. And they're just, you know, they're cool. Like, they're not just a boss. They're like a big boss. Yeah, they're really, those are great bosses because they're really big centerpiece bosses that give you demonstrable progress towards your, your big goal. Especially in they the did. first Final Fantasy where you kill one and then one of the little orbs in your inventory that's always there on the inventory screen like a lights up and you get a you get a real sense that you make significant progress by getting through that one guy yeah when you and not only that we're talking about the like how awesome um rpg boss music is they get their own music oh yeah the especially (laughs) in final fantasy 4 that music is incredible yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you're not just fighting a boss; like, the world is about to end now. <laughs> yeah, well, and also the, in Final Fantasy IV, they not only do they have that cool narrative function, but each one of them has like kind of a neat gimmick. Which, now that I'm thinking about it, for all of them except for uh, the Fiend of Earth, is the <laughs> gimmick of the Mist Dragon, where there are certain phases where you just can't hit them. I just remember that in Final Fantasy Nine. Um, I don't remember the boss fights all that well. I just remember that I was really underleveled for them. Oh, yeah. And so they kind of killed me yeah. badly in Final Fantasy IX when I got to that part, which is why I ended up putting down Final Fantasy IX when it first came out and not picking it up again for like a couple years, actually, and ended up starting over entirely. And the second time around, I leveled up considerably and just beat the living hell out of that final dungeon. But they're actually pretty tough. That has some considerably tough bosses. And again, because it wants to harken back to the old Final Fantasy so much, you really have to grind to get through them, which Mm. is part of what makes playing that game so unpleasant. (laughs) Um, Before we move on, I I wanted to highlight one other example of it's not strictly speaking an early boss because Pokemon came out in 1996, but the structure was kind of interesting and it kind of came to define the games was the gym leaders. Oh yes, that was in interesting. In that they they built the entire game around beating these gym leaders and getting their badges and everything, and every one of them was themed. Um, and th- frankly, if you had a monster that exploited its particular um, uh, its particular elemental weakness, you would be mostly fine. Though in later games, um, they like kind of fixed that and yeah. had monsters that could, or they, they diversified the lineup a bit because there were so many monsters by that point that it was just like, okay, whatever. Um, you're, you're not going to be able to just steamroll everything with a water Pokemon. But no, I, really I just remember change. my first run through Pokemon Red and I picked a Charmander as my my first monster. Yay! And fighting Misty. Oh God! <laughs> Misty and her Starmie. Yes. Starmie, which is one of the most powerful monsters in the game, and will just bust out um, Bubble Beam. Bubble Beam just killed the hell out of my monsters. It was really Aww. strong, and it had Recover. Oh, that's right. Oh crap! 
Oh God, yeah. But but when you beat a boss, but when you beat a gym leader, you felt really good about it. Oh yeah. And I I've I've talked about this before. I've always said that the, what I would really like to see out of Pokemon is for them to make a spin-off or a full-on sequel where you play as a gym leader and then kind of merge that element with Animal Crossing. Yeah, because cool. gym leaders figure so heavily into the lore of the series. Yeah. In that they're like community leaders. Usually they like they're they're kind of the mayor and the sheriff at the same time because all of Pokemon appears to live in these like little socialist communes. Yeah. Um that are <laughs> kind do. of like protected by the gym leader. <laughs> wow, that's like a really fascinating f- fiction right uh, story right there. Someday I'm going to write uh, the socioeconomic uh, diversity of Pokemon or something like that. I'd read it. <laughs> you would be the only one. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I think... Yeah, there you go. But I, I have, like, they don't go a lot into how the world of Pokemon actually works, but I, I have how it all kind of, like, how it all happens in my head. Like, it's all there, right there. Anyway. All right. Let's talk a little bit about what makes a good RPG boss fight? Um, Nadia, like we've been kind of talking over you and I apologize. So oh, Nadia, okay. what do you think makes a good RPG boss fight? Well, we already talked about graphics and sound and it's just music. I, I guess I can't really be understated how much I can really pump you up. I mean, kind of jumping ahead here, but one of my favorite boss fights uh, is in Final Fantasy VII. And not necessarily because of the fight itself, but because just... I don't know, the boss music goes so well with it. It's when you're fighting Rufus on top of uh, the Shinra headquarters. It's just so badass with the battle theme. And, of course, the battle theme is prevalent all across the game. But, like, it just... With that particular scene, it just works so perfectly well. So I guess something that, like... I'm not even looking for a huge challenge in the end. I just want something to to stand out to me. Uh, If you give me a challenge and you give me this amazing sense of atmosphere, bravo. But, um, yeah, I I just want to remember you if you are a boss. Mm. Yeah, I like uh, I, I like when a boss fight feels momentous. I suppose, yes. like um, when you, for example, um, like there are some boss battles that it's just like, okay, they just threw a boss in here um, that you, yeah, you're just supposed you to, to kill or something to use up your uh, your items, you know, sort of thing. But I was talking to a friend recently, and. <laughs> He argued that anything, like anything on a train, like you, you can never go wrong in a video game with a train level. I agree. Like train levels are always good. Especially oh, yeah, if you those suplex are good. that train. Yes, yeah, exactly. If you fight the train at the end of the train level, those are the best. <laughs> yes. Uh, but conversely, you can never go right with a sewer level. Like sewer oh, levels God. are just never good. Yeah, I, I'm trying to I'm, think. I'm of really. One. I'm trying to think of one. I am might be the only person on the planet who actually likes the sewer level in Xenogears. But also that <laughs> might be because I was so bored by that game. I was welcome. I enjoyed doing anything at all in it. So mm. that's a that's a big grain of salt with the sewer level. I was just thinking about Final Fantasy VII, and after you beat or after you escape from Don Corneo. Yeah, he drops oh, you. Oh, yeah, the... You fall into a sewer, and then you fight, like, just a random boss. 
Like oh, a super random boss. Yeah, you yeah. fight some rando and it's not very good or fun. Or I didn't even yeah. remember that part of it. Exactly. And it's just like, okay, well, this is just kind of a roadblock boss. Um, steamroll it and keep going. Yeah, especially because it comes after like that super weird story segment. Yeah. <laughs> Like, there's, if you were going to put a boss fight there, it really has to cap that off in, like, some kind of even crazier way. Well, yeah. the the, yeah. the monster did have, like, this weird bondage gear thing going on, so it's not totally inappropriate for the theme. Weird bondage <laughs> I, I guess. thing going on. It had, like, some harness, and it was like, okay, uh, sure, why not? I, um, I gotta look this up now. Steve, what what do you think makes a good... RPG boss fight. Um, so longtime listeners will probably think this is super weird to hear from me, but I actually do not like mechanically involved boss fights in RPGs. Um, okay, that is weird. Yeah, at least <laughs> those that are not like if it's a mechanically focused game, then yeah, I'm I'm all about it. Um, but I actually really like boss fights that have huge emotional payoff or like narrative yeah. payoff in games. Um, I mean, we're gonna get to go through the the favorite boss fights a little bit later, but like. Stuff like the Magus boss fight in Chrono Trigger is oh, phenomenal amazing. because, right? Because it, not only because that one it, that is a really challenging fight, and yeah. there's there's like some light mechanics to it, like there are in a lot of the Chrono Trigger boss fights. But the huge payoff at the end of it is that you find out that this is not the end of the game. This is like maybe halfway through. Yeah, maybe. and that's so that is such an incredible reversal. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when we get into the favorite stuff, I'll talk more about that. But yeah, I really love big emotional payoffs and like the, the music stuff and definitely like huge or well animated graphics that totally goes along with that. I was going to say that was also tying into the thing I was talking about with atmosphere and whatnot. Like that is just, you remember every second of that battle, like even playing it. I love to play it oh, again, yeah. put it that way. Yeah, I mean, like, even the intro to it before the fight starts when you're going down the stairwell and all the bats chase you and the chanting gets louder. Yeah. Like, it has it has a really good setup. The fight itself has an incredible progression, and then the payoff from it is just totally crazy. Yeah, it's totally A+. So I suppose that, uh, on the one hand, it can be awesome to have, like, like, as you were saying, like, this super setup and great graphics, and it's just, like, so cool to look at and so much fun. Um, but by the same token, it doesn't always have to, I feel like a, just a good duel can be a lot of fun, um, in an RPG boss battle too. Um, and that also kind of ties into like recurring boss battles, like, uh, a particular villain who is just a thorn in your side and keeps oh, yes. reappearing. Um, a good example would be, for example, uh, Gilgamesh, uh-huh. um, from Final Fantasy V. Ultras. Not ex- not the hardest boss, but memorable. Um, there's a reason that Gilgamesh like repeat keeps appearing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, Cipher or Cipher from Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, that was the one that I was going to mention because none of like none of the fights in Final Fantasy VIII have a particularly great story payoff, but those are all very memorable fights and they're all really fun. It was a funny thing about the cipher fights is that none of them are hard. Right. That's the other great thing. Of, that's like kind of a great joke about them too, is that this guy is just a total loser. So of course you <laughs> steamroll him in every encounter. 
My favorite thing is when the final cipher encounter, what I'll always end up doing is sitting there and basically just drawing from him. (laughs) (laughs) Because he's so weak that he can't actually hurt my party very well. So I'll just sit there and he has some really good uh, spells. That is exactly what I did. That is, I think that was the only time in my Final Fantasy VIII playthrough where I just sat there and I drew from a boss until I had 99. (laughs) Yeah. So I would just draw from him. But then if here's my other favorite thing. If you go to, if you get Odin, um, and you go to fight Cypher, Odin will come out like oh, he does yeah. sometimes, and he kills like enemies, and he'll come after Cypher, but Cypher will slice him in half. And you're like, oh, Odin, no, you're dead. But then Gilgamesh will appear and take him out. Yes, that, and that's when uh, the Odin Guardian Force turns into the Gilgamesh one, and it's so good. <laughs> But it always annoyed me because I'd be sitting there drawing and then I'd be like, oh, no, I have Odin. I forgot. And then Odin shows up and I'm like, oh, damn it. Gilgamesh is going to kill him now. This sucks. Uh, good boss battles. Um, I would say that having multiple forms isn't necessarily guarantee a guarantee of a good boss battle. What do you no. guys think about that? No. Like I agree. The, the, the Sephiroth boss oh, battle at the God. end of final fantasy 7 oh just thinking not, that once not great hit my like, head at the time i know we were all totally blown away by it we were all totally blown away by it at the time but like many things about final fantasy 7 upon reflection it's not that great well no well i mean okay the one week angel battle was pretty great oh that yeah, part of it is awesome i mean the yeah. part before it eh. exactly like i barely remember it and then you fight genova before that that's right, you do, yeah. Oh, yeah but I true. always like Genova fights. Yeah. Because of the music, you see. Yeah, the Genova fights are good, not because of Genova, but because the music is so good. <laughs> it's <looks> amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah, the Genova music was, like, unique to Genova. But the thing was is that I never particularly liked fighting Genova. Yeah, the Genova fights are all really boring, and... Like, the whole reason you get excited when you have one in that game, because I think there's, like, three or four of them, is that you get to hear that music again, and you get exactly. really excited for that. It's one of those, it's, it's like, one of those really boring battles that are really upped by the atmosphere, like I was talking about earlier. Yeah, and also, and it does help that those are, that that's, like, the most fantastical monster design in that game, too. Like, Genova just looks yeah. super cool. So, to me, the... Best example I can think of of multiple form overkill is probably the Ultimecia fight at the end of Final Fantasy VIII. Oh, yeah. Which, don't get me wrong, I actually liked that boss battle. Um, but they go kind of crazy with that one because first you fight just regular Ultimecia, who, if you're not careful, by the way, can kill a party member and then send them into the abyss or something. Uh, like, if they get if they faint... She'll do a thing where they'll like vanish into time. Yep. Oh, and then she actually does that in all of them, I think. And then the second boss, or like like she combines with a guardian force and becomes like really big and the music changes and it's pretty sweet. Um and if you try to use summons, she'll break your summon and make it go away. And then and then there's the third one. There's a third form of that. Like, there's another variant of that Guardian Force. Um, it's like the Lionheart one. And then when you kill that, 
Then a fourth form shows up. <laughs> and that's yeah, the that's final form. And that one has like that one had a killer boss theme though, the extreme. It was so good. Oh yeah. Like um you should definitely like pause this podcast and, and see if you can listen to it. Maybe I'll throw it on the the page, but the extreme is kind of an underrated boss battle uh song in Final Fantasy lore. Uh, just because and and i like it just because there are so many interesting parts to it it almost brings to mind dancing mad in that respect i mean i think Mm -hmm. dancing mad is ultimately better but the extreme is just really energetic and there's like multiple parts to it and it really conveys the sense that yes you are fighting a final boss battle but on the other hand holy crap four four final forms for final fantasy VIII. yeesh yeah that's a little much and I'd actually forgotten about, I think, that fourth one, or maybe the second one. I remembered there being only three, so that, that tells you how memorable the all four of them were. I, I suppose the last thing that I might say is, it's good when a, a boss fight has something memorable about them, though I would stop short of saying that having a gimmick. Um, and when I say that, like, I was thinking, we're bringing up Final Fantasy V a lot, but Final Fantasy V has really good boss battles often. Um, Atmos from um, Final Fantasy V, which will eat a party member. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or something like... That one's like, also uh, a pain in the ass. Yeah. The wall fight in Final Fantasy IV, where the gimmick, where it's, the gimmick is it's timed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Secret of Mana had the same thing going on with the wall fights, that if you didn't beat it in a certain amount of time, it would squish you. Yeah, both Secret of Mana and uh, Second Tetsetsu 3 have that in it. And those oh. are some of the least fun fights in those games. Yeah. Yeah. So, maybe not a good thing. Well, I mean, like, it's memorable. You do remember them. But there's two reasons you remember something. It's really good, or it's really bad. Really bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I remember as a kid, like, I was really bad at RPGs, and, like, I struggled with that stupid wall face, and then this stupid jerk has his last move that kills me. Yeah, that was not very fun as a kid. Alright, so let's talk about our least favorite boss fights, and I think I'll start. Um, I think my least favorite boss fight is probably the Human Reaper from Final from Mass Effect 2, which is... After all of the build-up for that game, and you're like going, what the heck is going on? What are these collectors working on and everything? And the suicide mission is just a phenomenal, phenomenal final level. Because uh, it's like incredibly tense, and you're just afraid the entire time of losing a team member, and anybody can die. And then you're in a running gunfight, heading down into the bowels of the area, and you fight a boss from Contra? <laughs> <laughs> he's a giant yeah. terminator thing that's kind of hanging up and you shoot some weak points and it dies mm, yep and you're like uh, really that was it that was the final boss battle of mass effect 2 okay okie dokie um, <laughs> wow man that was kind of a well that was a disappointing final boss battle that's what i will say what about you guys? What about you, Steve? Oh, um, 
I'm 100% certain I've told this story before on the podcast, but my least favorite boss fight is absolutely uh, in Vagrant Story, the final boss. Every So there are... I've played through that game, I think, twice. And the first time I did, I went in with a build that had only weapons that would do one damage to it. So I just sat there nickel and diming it until it oh finally died. Oh, it was so bad. And then uh, a later point when I played it again and I came in with a much better prepared with a weapon that could just, I like blew through it in, I think, three combos. And it was, it's a very, it was either annoying or massively anticlimactic. And it doesn't help that unless you're thinking about it a lot, there are huge portions of that game's story that are just massively impenetrable. So, mm. Like, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there who enjoy it, but that's the one that really sticks in my craw as this was a game that I didn't enjoy much, and the final boss was the worst part of it. Well, you're a, you're a Vagrant Story truther in general, Steve. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. Like I've, that game. I've, I've talked about how much I dislike that game numerous times on this podcast. There's um. Uh, there's a boss in League of Explorers and Hearthstone that's a little like that. Except that there's no way to just blow through it. You just have to, like, you can only do one damage. Oh. So you basically just have to load up your board, um, and each char- each card can do one damage to it. And it's not uh, a hard fight, it's just a tedious fight. Yeah. Yeah, tedium, tedium is 100% the killer of any boss fight in an RPG. Yeah, totally agree. What about you, Nadia? Uh, it's funny, Kat. Uh, my choice is very different from yours thematically, but there are a lot of parallels going on. Uh, that would be Kefka from Final Fantasy VI. Um, what? Be- oh, this is a, this is interesting. <laughs> I gotta hear this one. Okay, you were mentioning how the last uh, level of Mass Effect Two was amazing, and uh, so was the last level, Kefka's Tower. It's just freaking incredible. Uh, although you do, you are forced to use three parties, and if you have underleveled characters, screw you. But um, the point is, uh, even the part with like the tier, the three, the tier, uh, that's amazing. That's incredible. I will not argue that. And it's like really clever because you have all these different components that are using different kinds of attacks against you, and you have to plan for that. But then you get to Kefka himself, and he goes down so fast. It's like Ultima, Ultima, dead. Okay, you're talking about the god of the world who destroyed everything with a with a this beam of light because he was bored, and he's like, look at me, I'm God, and then you just God goes down after an Ultima. It's just really, really disappointing to me. He doesn't have much of a challenge to him. I suppose. I, I remember him being pretty, like, pretty sweet um, when I fought Final Fantasy VI, but... Maybe I was overleveled? Maybe you... I, I don't know, you're kind of... Maybe you're just overpowered? I think I was really overpowered, but, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I adore the... the uh, the, the music, like the way it changes for the three tiers, like that's really incredible for a cartridge game. And then, you know, we don't have to talk about how the ending theme is half an hour long, and again, on a cartridge game. But, uh, yeah, even like um, Dancing Mad itself, I'm not a huge fan of that theme. I don't know if that counts for the tier wow. music, but, uh, yeah, just Kefka was like, he comes down in this huge oh. like, crescendo of like, you know, horns and crap, and just, he just he's gone. He takes a long time. Nadia to with too. the controversial takes. No, well, I, gotta do it. I can totally see where you're. I could totally see where you're coming from with that, even if I don't agree. Yeah, like that is that is a fight that 
if you prepare for it correctly, is way too easy at the very end. Yeah, there's very little challenge for Kefka himself. That's just how I felt. I remember and... that. I remember that. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I wasn't properly prepared. <laughs> you get I remember him being reasonably tough. Um, when you talk about... I just remember, like, it was probably the one of the most ambitious boss fights that you're ever going to see on a Super Nintendo game, just because yeah, it, absolutely. it like goes through multiple levels, and each time the the boss music changes. Yes, um, and that was incredible with each I, level. I will give it that, but and seamlessly it changes yes, seamlessly, which that is was amazing. really really neat. That was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, the way um, that they managed to set that up is really something else. Oh, the setup is amazing. And even, like, the, the, the three tiers, like, they will hit you with status effects and whatnot. Like, uh, you have that one, the third tier, who immediately gets in, gets you with Whirlwind, which knocks you right down to, like, one hit point. And, of course, Kefka himself has Fallen One, which, again, knocks you down to one hit point. But you just keep a Mega Elixir in store, and you're all right. I just felt like it could be a little more challenging. True. A little more Fair epic. Um, I guess part of the reason I feel this way also is because um, Secret of Mana was my first like real square experience in a long, long time. And this Mana Beast, I didn't know how to beat him. So I kind of like nickel and diming him as a, the term is being used now, which I love. Uh, I didn't really realize how to revive the Mana Sword. So it, I beat him by just like charging up my spear weapon and like getting him for like 200 hit points at a time. It took me a long, long time to beat him. So I was expecting a big fight with Kefka and it was like gone yeah there are a lot of tedious boss fights um throughout rpg history and mm-hmm. i was totally remembering one a little while ago but i don't remember it now uh, which is kind of disappointing to me but i'm sure that'll come back to me i'm sure that you have you the listener have your own opinions on what a tedious boss fight is so i, I wouldn't mind hearing them um Send to cat.bailey at usgamer.net or hit me up on Twitter at the underscore Kappa. I'm kind of interested to hear what your least favorite RPG bosses are. But let's talk about something a little more positive. Let's talk about our favorite boss fights. Um, how about you, Steve? Yes. Um, so I already mentioned Magus, which is like maybe the number one top tier boss fight of any RPG. Um, but the other one that I like to mention, especially since we've had so much of a... Uh, a JRPG focus on this one is the final boss of Fallout, uh, the Master. Right. Okay. Which is so not only is it an incredible boss fight if you choose to go in there guns blazing and just blow it away. Like that's a lot of fun too. But the fact that if you walk in there as a character with a high charisma skill and nothing else, you can talk the final boss into suicide <laughs> is that's really great. It, that was incredible, like, mid-90s. It, it, it was yeah. so in keeping with the classic D&D, like, tabletop game kind of style. Yeah, and it also fits really well with, like, kind of the the sort of cheeky nature that Fallout has always had. Like, Fallout 1 wasn't really, like, outright goofy or anything, but you could definitely tell that it had this really black humor in it. And that's that's kind of the, the ultimate expression of that game's sense of humor is, well... Of course, if you tell him that he's the worst person, that he's doing the wrong thing, and like his super mutants are actually worse than humans, he's going to kill himself. So mm. that's that's one that I really love. Mm. 
my favorite. So I really like, like, in a lot of ways, it's not anything particularly special. But so last night I, I um I ripped my Valkyrie profile discs to my computer, and spent a long time like fiddling around with like emulation filters and everything all that just so i could get a filter that looked really good on my tv because <laughs> i just kind of wanted to play some valkyrie profile and i was like totally like into it and i was having a good time and i was like oh man wow the soundtrack like fits so well like it just totally has like has its hooks in me um but the reason i mentioned valkyrie profile is i really like the fight against lazard valeth um, which stands out to me as like the most memorable story because Lazard like Lazard plays a major role in the story. Um, if you're just playing it through and you don't get the best ending, he just pops up and he's kind of a creeper. Like he's this like otaku creeper who's like building like creepy. Um, uh, what are they called? Um, well, I, I guess you could say he's creating living sex dolls and it's kind of gross. Oh dear. Um, but he, the boss battle against him is fun because he's a mage. And that means that he has attacks that will hit your entire party. And the, 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 the spells in Valkyrie Profile are a lot of fun um, when you get like a really powerful attack going because you can hear them do their like really crazy over the top incantation and everything. So it feels like appropriately epic and, and, and cool. And then also, um, he hits you so hard that he, he's probably going to take out like your entire party. So you have to really kind of understand the system, um, understand that you need like abilities like guts, like you need certain um, items. And so what will inevitably happen is that he will hit you for like a total party kill and then you'll like revive and go ping. <laughs> and then you can keep going. And then you also have to have a pretty good understanding of the combo system in that game. Um, because he has these uh, these two zombie dragons guarding him um, that you have to take out before you can get to Lazard himself. And they have like really good combo, like they have really good blocking. And so you have to break the block to be able to get into them. And you can do things like you could use um, a holy crystal and like really mess them up. Or um, if you have the right kind of combination of skills, you can hit them pretty hard into the sky and like get away from their block. But it's, there's a lot more, there's more tactical nuance than it looks. And plus I just, I really liked listening to Lazard be like, doing his incantations in that really annoying high squeaky like nerd voice of his. (laughs) Yes, so Valkyrie Profile. I love that game. Um, Nadia, how about you? What's your favorite boss battle? Uh, I would say hands down, uh, Luca Blight from Suikoden Two. Um, oh yes, oh that's a good one. It was just intense for so many reasons because Luca Blight is a jerk, one hundred percent unrepentant, and he does not like. And you, when you first meet him, you're like, this guy is going to fight like a a monster, and he does. And most evil villain. He is bad. Most evil villain in a RPG ever. Absolutely. Like, um, 
so you know, like, and you just by looking at him and the way he talks, you know that he can back up his words. He's he's not screwing around with you. And when you go up against him, not only do you go up against his stupid friggin' henchman, you go up against him. And he keeps, if I'm not mistaken, he keeps running away or like getting away from you. And then like, you have, I think it takes like your like an ambush to get some arrows into him just to slow him down. And then when you finally beat him after this really intense battle. He's just standing there full of arrows, just bristling with arrows, and he's still completely unrepentant, saying, I may die, but you're all still worms. And, well, he dies with the last word. <laughs> it was just, it, it stayed with me for a long, long time. And it, they do such a great job of building up to that fight. They do. Because by the time you get there to that point, you just want to kill that bastard dead. You do. And, and they make it like, it's not, it, it's not anticlimactic at all like it takes like there's a whole build up to like catching him Mm -hmm. and no you have to fight for your victory you really really do and when you take him down you're like oh that was so satisfying it really was even if he just did he just didn't repent like and i kind of like that like because you always get the rpg villains who are like oh boohoo you know my father was mean to me and growing up i'm so sorry but no he dies the way he lived as a as a friggin jerk and I'm okay with that. So am I. He was very, very interesting in that regard. Um, this is kind of an underrated one. And again, I don't think a lot of people would necessarily call it their favorite boss fight. But in Final Fantasy VIII, which I keep bringing up, because I guess that game has better boss fights than I remember. Um, do you remember when you're fighting the robot spider that's chasing you? Yes, yes. I remember that. that was I like cool. that one. That is because... a great series of boss fights. Because, first of all, that's when the game, like, really starts to pick up, where you're, like, you're going on the operation, and it's playing that really awesome music as you, like, hit the beach, Mm -hmm. and you're, like, really pumped up, and you're like, yeah, let's do this, and then you get up to the radio tower, and there's that great intro where the the robot spider shows up, and... um, well, what you really want to do is you want to use, like, um, I think Rama, if you have Rama at that point, I think you do, um, yeah. to disable it. And then it's, like, a big, like, chase scene. And if it catches up to you, you have to disable it again and get away. Um, I think you can kill it. It might be really hard. You can kill it, but it's extremely hard. And it's also worth mentioning that it comes immediately after you complete the first real boss fight of the game, which is super tough. Yeah, and so and so you kind of have to know the level well to be able to run away from it. And then the thing is, but the thing is, if you can, like, get away with only having to fight it once, like, you get a really good um, seed score, and then you get a nice um, paycheck to start the game. Hmm, yeah. So I always thought that was kind of a cool boss battle. One thing that I find interesting is that we tend to... Uh, like everybody like says games like you know Persona and that kind of thing, really good games, really good RPGs. But we haven't mentioned Persona or SMT once so far. No, I guess we haven't. So like the the SMT games, like Matador is a really memorable boss fight because the lead up to it is really good and the the fight itself is punishing to the point where it's where almost everyone quits, uh, including me. <laughs> but. One thing that I've noticed, and like um, Strange Journey has some really great boss fights in it too. Yes. But the thing that I've noticed about the Persona games, because like, I was thinking about this too, because I love those games so much, they're memorable for everything except their boss fights. 
pretty much. Like, they have great antagonists, but you don't ever really fight the human antagonists, ever. Which is, it's not disappointing, because that's kind of what that series is, but it is part of why there's not a really great boss fight in any of them. I was just, it was just striking me that I couldn't, like, think of any, like, really good boss fights off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Well, because they're all, in a, in a way, they're all fairly samey, which is figure out which, figure out how to defend against this boss's particular attacks and then learn how to exploit this boss's particular weaknesses. Like, if it functions like every other enemy in the game, except for it is super tough. Like, that's kind of how all the bosses in Persona 3 and Persona 4 work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking, like, there's a moment in Persona 3, like, early on, um, when you hit your first full moon... And the game has been kind of building up to that point where it's like going, uh oh, when the when the full moon hits, like bad stuff happens. And there's a really like good fight through a uh, a subway train uh, that's like kind of unlike anything that you fought through up to that point. And I think that particular sequence is really great because it it feels dangerous. You feel the danger. But for the love, for the life of me, I can't remember the boss from that area. I just remember the sequence. <laughs> yeah, and it's. I was just thinking, it's kind of the same thing with Persona Four because all the bosses are your your other self, the other self of the main characters. But the boss itself is never particularly interesting. It's all of the the way that it relates to the character that it's the representation of that's interesting. So, like, what makes those boss fights interesting comes from entirely a place outside of the boss itself, which is why you don't really remember what those fights are like. You just kind of remember how they play out in the narrative. Okay, so we've said our own favorite boss fights. So let's go to the readers and see, or sorry, listeners. I guess they're listeners because this is a radio show, not not an article. Um, I asked, okay, what's your favorite boss fights? And here are what some people on Twitter said. Uh, we were just talking about how it was surprising that SMT didn't really come up. Um, at Ping33 does actually mention one. Zelenin from Strange Journey um, is one of their favorite boss battles. That's, that's like toward the end. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I know I finished Strange Journey and I'm trying to remember what that boss fight was. She's the uh, she's the one who she's like one of your teammate teammates. Oh yeah, when you fight your team, that's is one of the story paths when you fight your right because right, this you is can when align you take, yourself with one of like yeah. This is when you take the neutral or the chaos path. You have to fight her. That's yes. right. So uh, yeah, that's that's a good choice. And also ultimate Ultima and Final Fantasy Tactics, which I totally don't remember. It's probably a good boss fight. Uh, oh wait, Ultima is—is is Ultima the optional boss, or is it the the Zodiac monster that um, in the third chapter? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I, I do know. I can't remember which Zodiac monster it is in the third chapter, but that is a memorable fight because it is so painfully hard. Indeed. Um, at Lord Dre X, Lady Unalesca in Final Fantasy X. The older I get, the more I appreciate the ambitiousness of Final Fantasy X, and that fight is peak Final Fantasy X. <laughs> Interesting choice for peak Final Fantasy X, because Lady Unalesca, okay, 
I think you're pretty much guaranteed to die once in that against that boss because she uses um she uses zombie on you. She uh, uses yeah. zombie and then she uses um a particular spell that will like kill you. Like yeah. kill everybody if they're like a particular level. Like if their level is like um a multiple of 5, level 5 I think death. she'll kill you. Yeah, yeah level 5 death. She'll like take you out. Right. She'll turn you into a zombie and if you cure yourself you actually want to stay a zombie because otherwise she'll use level five death and kill you. Yeah. It's a, it's a mean fight. Yeah. Hmm. And so of it. course I died the first time I fought her. Cause I'm like, I'm going to cure a zombie. And then oh, I died. Yeah. And then you have to go through that whole freaking 30 minute unskippable cutscene just to get all the way back to it. <laughs> oh, God, oh, square. Yeah. yeah so the, I suppose that fight is peak final fantasy. 10. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I, mean, Sorry, I enjoy I that. I enjoy that game a lot more than most people do. But I, the fact that you can't skip the skip the cutscenes is murder. Um, so uh, another Final Fantasy choice at Sam Prell, Anima from Final Fantasy X. She's so different and a huge threat. Plus, the lead up and contact makes her really ominous. Anima is Seymour's um, Aeon from Final Fantasy X. Yeah, the Aeon that is his mother. Which is like kind of it's like there's a lot of really weird, creepy story stuff going on with that. Huh. So it's not it's not like a super memorable fight, but it is a, one of the more unique ones in that game. It's interesting that Final Fantasy X has come up twice because that one has what is universally considered one of the most disappointing final boss fights ever. Oh God! Because you're invincible for it. Yeah, you're like fighting um, what's his name? Yu Yevin. Um, Yu Yevin, right? And like you are literally invincible like you can't like you'll just get revived if you die so it's like a trivial fight um the fight against your dad it's okay but it also had some of the worst final boss music ever yes it, that song is maybe the worst song in any final fantasy game wow i i, I would go with that actually it's just like this kind of faux heavy metal it's it's pretty bad oh i think i know I, I haven't played 10 but i think i know the one you're talking about is it the one with it has lyrics right or am i thinking of something else yeah it has like yeah, okay, it has yeah super I, I heard growly impenetrable yeah lyrics. yeah i heard that the other day and i'm super like this growly. is hilarious <laughs> i have a feeling it's not supposed to be hilarious but it's hilarious oh it's totally hilarious it's really bad <laughs> and coming off like previous final fantasies that final boss fight also felt pretty anticlimactic but in any case, um, Camp Spining Sharks says, Elian and Breath of Fire Dragon Quarter. Super crazy fight, but you can also use it as a reward for saving all your dragon powers. Um, Nadia, you've played Dragon Quarter. What's your thoughts? Uh, I have not played that boss. I never finished Dragon Quarter because I got really intimidated by mm. it. Um, that was the game yeah. I said I really admired its ambition and it had some great ideas, but it kind of made me scared because i played breath of fire for a traditional rpg experience and that was not a traditional rpg experience yeah i've finished that game and i will 100 percent admit to not remembering that fight but it's also been like 10 years since i played it um yeah I really it's been a while. It again but it like yeah it is incredibly satisfying to in those later boss battles like just totally unleash all of your craziest abilities because the the timer doesn't matter anymore yeah well, this one says it's a timed battle. The player has 20 rounds to defeat him or they face an automatic game over. Oh, yeah, this is absolute. I think I remember this. This is towards the end of the game, too. 
So you actually, yeah, you really do have to bring out your powers to be able to go through it. That game has... Oh, sorry, I was going to say, that game has a really creepy game over screen if you go through all your dragon powers. Um, Oh, I don't think it... Did I ever die because of my dragon powers? I don't think I ever did. Basically, the dragon bursts out of Ryu, and it's like all in like black and red silhouettes. Like, wow, that's really kind of grim. And he's like, you hear him screaming in pain before he dies. Ew. Yeah, it was... That's messed up. (laughs) You look it up on YouTube. It is really amazing and awful. Um, And apparently it's in four stages. Just each stage using utilizing a new attack pattern. Sounds brutal. Yeah, I, it does. I like this fine. All right. At MTC, Luca Blight. I don't think I've seen anything like that in a game since. Ah, I'll go with that. Yeah, I think uh, just the, the how epic that fight really is. Which I one was that? I missed, the, I missed which one that is. Luca Blight. Oh, oh, yes, yes, of course. 100% clap, clap. Good, good show. All right, we got a Western RPG here. Uh, Ernest Cavalli. Objectively, Erencius in Baldur's Gate 2. Subjectively, 40-person Ragnaros raid in World of Warcraft circa 2005. <laughs> nice. God. Yeah, I didn't bring up any raids, but uh, early raids in World of Warcraft, like in like Molten Core and that kind of thing, were pretty crazy. Um like, people have a lot of nostalgia now for early World of Warcraft before all of the conveniences got put in, mm-hmm. where you had to literally travel across the world, and, like, you couldn't just queue up for a raid, and it felt like you were, like, l- really legitimately going into battle when you had, like, these crazy 40-person armies going on to take a boss. Leroy Jenkins. More dots. More dots. <laughs> Um, at uh, Mike Suzik, my friend Mike Suzik. Um, tangent, first time I beat Final Fantasy VII, I didn't have the final limit. Not sure I even had Cloud's final weapon. In that battle, when the limit break charges up, Omni Slash was there anyways. I always thought that was funny. Yeah, I remember that. That's how I beat Sephiroth, too. When you take out Sephiroth, yeah. Yeah. Um, they had their shirts off. Mike Suzik also says he likes Gigas in Earthbound. Oh, yes. I, I was going to bring yeah. him up, too, at some point. That that was one that I didn't mention because I actually saw this list coming up. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you say that? Um, well, I mean, like, uh, I actually took a look at the responses that your your tweet got so that I could kind of talk about this stuff. <gasps> cheater! Oh, yeah. I'm a cheater. That's why I didn't talk about any of the Fantasy Star stuff. Uh, spoiler, people really like Fantasy Star boss fights. Um, yeah, Gygus is super cool. Like, that is a, a really great payoff to that game. It is. And... Uh... It's dangerous, but at the same time, like, you can't... It's not simply a, a boss you can overlevel yourself for. You have to know what right, you're it's, doing. It's, like, maybe one of the only trick bosses in our, in an RPG that I can think really works. Yeah. Under- because it's... You've got this ability that you never use throughout the whole game because it's so useless. Yeah. And then, in desperation, you're bound to try it out at some point against Gygus, and that's how you win. Yeah. And uh, Undertale did a really nice extension of that, too. Um, not quite as clever, but you could see what they were going for. What do they do in Undertale? Yeah, which fight in Undertale are you thinking of? Uh, spoilers, of course. The one against Asriel Dreamer. Oh, yeah, when you go into the... Uh, when it opens up the save action. Yes, yes. Yeah. That was... It was just very meta, yeah. But some I've had friends who tell me the game is really too clever for its own good, but it's... 
that was just a really nicely done part because it was such a you could tell it was such a tribute to Earthbound and other feely RPGs. I just really enjoyed it. So he also he cheated. He has another one. <gasps> Lavos in Chrono Trigger. Oh, that's always a good one. Yeah, yeah there's, but there's but different the follow-up question that is which which yeah, Lavos? There's different Lavoses. <laughs> yeah, well, that itself they... is pretty cool, right? Yeah, I I would say that the uh, the first like the when the first phase of Lavos when it goes through all of the other bosses in the game like that's a really cool concept. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the recurring boss battle stuff, right? So, and the other thing was that you could fight Lavos pretty early on. Like yeah, you get can, the special like, ending. Just end game at like super yep. early. Yeah, yeah. So that was really interesting. Um, great music for we have World Revolution. You have uh, the final Lavos boss theme, and they kind of they do another kind of trick on you where it's not attacking Lavos himself that uh, that gets the job right, done. It's attacking the Lavos bit, lowering his shields. Yeah, which which um, a lot of the other boss fights kind of train you to do the opposite of that, to ignore the support enemies yeah. and attack the main thing. Yeah. Which is a nice which is a nice reversal of, oh, I know how these bosses work, so I'm just going to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and he cheated again. He has an honorary mention. He actually, uh, it's another Final Fantasy VIII one. Diablo's in Final Fantasy VIII. Do you remember that one? For some reason, I'm blanking. <laughs> No, I'm blanking on it too. So it's a it's a guardian force. Yeah, I remember that. And much. you get this lamp. You get a lamp right after you graduate um, from the academy, yeah. and you can use it whenever. Um, and you fight a guardian force who uses mostly um, gravity spells on you. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I remember this. Yeah, now. I remember that's, this now. that's not that's a particularly cool difficult boss fight. Um, I forget when I usually used it. Like, there was a, usually a specific point in the game that I would use it. Um, yeah, there's, like, one specific point that's really great to use it at, and I, I genuinely can't remember when I used it or what that fight was like. Continuing on with Final Fantasy, because everybody loves Final Fantasy, at IT underscore Burns. Final Fantasy VI's Phantom Train, another game yes. lets you suplex a freaking yep. train. Yep, 100%. Yep. Phantom Train is cool, not just because you get to suplex the train, but also, like, the presentation of that fight is so goofy and fun. Oh, it's great. And it comes at the culmination of this, like, really serious sequence that's meant to be, like, deeply emotional. And then immediately after that fight, you get something that's also meant to be deeply emotional. It was a weird, yeah. It is so out of place in that sequence, and that's one of the things that makes it really great. It's a talking train. And Cyan's family just died, and a talking train. <laughs> yeah, by the and then way, you were, train. You yeah, were the way, running train. away from the train on the train, the train tracks. Yes. Oh my god! And then and then you stop to do the suplex, and the stupid background is still moving. It's amazing. Everything about that is just a plus number one. I can't stand it. Yeah. Um, we didn't bring up Grandia, despite the fact that Grandia typically is considered to have one of the best RPG bas- boss. Uh, sorry, battle systems. Um, at damn it, Damon, Malice from Grandia Two was super tense going in, lost. Then I finally put together the timing of the battle system to beat him. Uh, Malice is your brother, like the brother who goes bad mm-hmm. um, in that game. So um, it ties into the story. Like, if I recall correctly, you're um, trying to rescue your brother, or you're like you're pursuing him, or anything, or something. So it's kind of the culmination of a big. 
uh, part of the story. And plus, it's more fun because it's not one of the stupid, um, like, body parts of the the big demon at the end of the game. So, that was a pretty decent boss battle. Mm-hmm. Um, at SDMX, those who speak any word but Kafka are ignorant or liars. <laughs> oh, dear. Nadia. Uh-oh. Nadia. You're both, We're gonna have yeah, Nadia, words. you are both ignorant and a liar. <laughs> Well, I'm not denying anything here. But, uh, yeah, I can understand why people might be a little bit, like, obsessed, or not obsessed, but upset about my answer. But I, I stick to it, damn it. Uh, Shane Bedenhausen uh, ans- actually responded to this one. Oh, that's cool. With just a picture. But anybody who's played Final uh, Fantasy Star 2 know that is Mother Brain from Fantasy Star 2. So... Uh. Yeah, um, uh, Weirdly, main antagonist uh, of that game, um, yeah. kind of like Shodan, like AI kind of killer. Yeah, the weird thing about that is that I do not remember the Mother Brain fight in Fantasy Star Two at all, but I definitely remember the Nay first fight, which um, is really good. That's a that's another fight that has like a super great payoff to it. That is also incredibly difficult because I think that. I think that um, you lose Nay before that fight even starts. So you lose your primary healer and tech user right before this incredibly difficult battle. Oh, boy. So lovely. I just love it when they take away something from you that you really need for a particular fight. Yeah, that's really sporting. Well, well, but then it feels even better when you finish it because it is a very difficult boss fight. At Brood War 64, first Magus fight, Chrono Trigger. Just love the atmosphere, the music, and how you have to keep changing your tactics. Yep. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Rowan Kaiser, anybody who says Sephiroth should probably be blocked. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Oh well, that's not his favorite boss fight, but it's a compelling argument for why you should block someone. <laughs> Fair oh, enough. Um... At M. Hall Steven, uh, Ornstein and Smo from Dark Souls. Yeah, so Ornstein and Smo um, almost broke me when I was <laughs> reviewing Dark Souls back in the day. Holy crap, those guys are so hard. Because they're like two bosses at once. One yeah, is this yeah, big the- fat guy with a giant hammer. And one's a little guy. He's like the dragon slayer. Yeah. And fucking Ornstein is like swinging his goddamn hammer thing all over the um uh all over the the building and like knocking down pillars and being terrifying and then smo's getting in your face and is like hard to get around and if you kill one of them you enrage the other that's dark souls that is dark souls i i think we were talking about um, peak Final Fantasy X. That, that was kind of peak, peak Dark, Dark Souls, Souls right there. Yeah, that's peak Dark Souls. That's I actually think I saw that, Twitch beat that beat that particular boss battle. Yeah, that boss fight is the Dark Souls of boss fights of Dark Souls. <laughs> um, Lickchan says, speaking of Dark Souls, the Nameless King in Dark Souls Three. Um, I I only just beat the Deacons of the Deep. Um, like I'm currently in the um, the catacombs the catacombs of something something um so i haven't gotten to the nameless king but freaking everybody says that that's the best boss battle in the game and one of the best dark souls battles ever so i'm like okay well i'm sufficiently hyped up i really want to see this boss battle now but knowing dark souls is gonna be really good 
Everybody really liked the Abyss Watchers, too. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that one. No, I haven't played much no. Dark Souls. So you walk in, and you just see a guy walking towards you, like, with a sword and, like, wearing cool armor and stuff. And he hits really hard, but he's not too. it's not too tough to dodge around his combos and everything and kind of backstab him. But then a second version of him shows up and starts hitting at you, too. And so now you're dodging two of these guys. And then a third one shows up, but then he attacks the first guy huh. or the second guy. And so it's good to kind of back up and, like, let them kind of have it have it out. But if they manage to take out the red-eyed guy, they will come after you. Like, both of them will come after you again. So it's usually good to try and get the the main boss who's the only one you can do damage to mm-hmm. kind of on his own and then when you manage to like knock out all this entire life bar um the main boss um his sword starts on fire <laughs> and now he's like swinging around this like giant fire blade and leaving trails of fire on the ground and it's like this really intense duel and i actually summoned somebody in to help me and they died at that part. And <laughs> oh, so dear. it was just me versus the, the fire boss. But I had tried it enough times um, that I kind of had a pretty good feel for their their patterns. And despite being fairly underleveled, because I hadn't beat um, the Crystal Sages or the, um, the other boss yet, or the de- Deacons of the Deep yet, um, I was able to take them out barely. Like I had like a sliver of life left. And I was like... Oh thank God! Oh thank God! I, I'm so glad that I did that. But it was a, it was a pretty. It was just a cool duel. It felt very bloodborney. So. Awesome. Yeah, abyss uh, the abyss watchers. Good boss battle. Um. So yeah. In any case, um, I'm interested to hear what, uh, what else? What other favorite boss battles you have? There's so many of them. Uh, one of my personal favorites for example is when you're fighting um in pokemon um you're fighting claire the gym leader uh, the final gym leader in pokemon gold and silver mm-hmm. uh who has the dragons oh yes yeah that was a good one um yeah, i remember that one just because that was a tough one as i recall it's a tough one um plus like from a story standpoint like she's a she's an apprentice of Lance who mm-hmm. is the champion in one of the champions in the first game. Yeah. And she um so it feels like a really like good tough battle. Yeah. Um and like an appropriate kind of culmination to that. So ah Pokémon. In any case, uh, yeah, I I definitely want to hear your favorite boss battles and your least favorite boss battles. Send them to Twitter at the underscore catbot or to my email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Um, and with that, um, guys, thanks for coming on the show. Um, Steve, we can find you on Twitter at at a tweeting twit. Yes, that is true. I still have Twitter. Um, and we can find you, Nadia, at Nadia Oxford. Uh, send, like, complain at Nadia about, about her, like about her hating on Kafka. I'm going to gird my loins. Come at or, me. Or, or tell her that, you know, she's totally right. Maybe she's totally right. Yeah. Um, I, can accept, to I yeah, can accept both. I can accept both viewpoints. So this this RPG boss battle podcast turned out to be kind of the, the final fantasy boss battle. Um, <laughs> but I guess a lot of those boss battles are super memorable. I don't know. Or at least those are the games that we know the best. 
Yeah. But there you go. Um, in any case, uh, if you want to listen to more Acts of the Blood God, you can find us on Spreaker and was it iHeartRadio and Stitcher and iTunes. Do me a favor and subscribe and rate us and leave us a review. Um, we always really appreciate hearing from our audience. Appreciate hearing from the fans. And if you send us like a nice good email based on the show, we may read it on the air, which is really exciting. In the meantime, uh, Nadia, what are you working on these days? Uh, let's see. I am working on... I'm actually about to write up an article about uh, Nintendo's future plans for mobile with Fire Emblem uh, and Animal Crossing on mobile. I think that's very exciting. And, uh, of course, I also have my Noteblock beatbox. I'm always working on that. Um, I get people telling me they enjoy it, and I really, I really like hearing that. So I, I hope... Um, if you haven't listened to it, um, I hope you uh, indulge. I enjoy it. Thank you. Also, Fire Emblem on mobile, Valkyrie Profile on mobile. We're all doomed. The end days have come on. Have come it's, upon us. Well, I it's know. not quite over yet until WarioWare is on mobile, and the theme of it is Wario wants to make a bunch of Gachamon games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ninety-nine cents a piece. But I don't know. I just given Nintendo how well they've done in-app purchases with uh, Mitomo, I'm just kind of curious to see where they're going with uh, Fire Emblem and Animal Crossing. Yeah, Mitomo kind of fell off a cliff, though. Um, it was briefly kind of a fad, like it was a kind of a sensation for like a weekend, I... and now it's like the forty number forty-three on the iTunes charts. It was never a, a really like huge, um, like even in Japan, it was never like a huge, uh, yeah, blockbuster. It was really a matter of retain. Uh, how many users it retained. Um, I still have plenty of people using it, but I have a lot of friends, so I'm just that popular, damn it. You're so popular. Oh, I my know. God. Um, I just wrote a... Well, people may know that Nintendo just sold the Seattle Mariners. Yes. Um, so I wrote a brief oh. little history about how they acquired the Seattle Mariners, um, which was kind of an interesting story because it kind of came at the height of their powers. They had just released the Super Nintendo... And the Seattle Mariners were kind of looking to move and they were trying, uh, local interests were trying to keep the Mariners in town. And so they went to Nintendo. And despite the fact that um, Hiroshi Yamauchi really did not care at all about baseball, he decided, eh, what the heck? Sure, I'll, I'll buy a majority stake. But then baseball tried to stop him. Yeah. Because they were like, uh, a Japanese company trying to buy a baseball team? Well, we can't allow that. I mean, they can build the Empire, buy the Empire State Building. They're like buying up all of the American interests. So there was actually this kind of big storm, um, like this big controversy as mm -hmm. Nintendo was buying up the Mariners because everybody saw it as like, uh, Japan's destroying us economically. Yeah. And then, of course, two years later, uh, Japan's economic downturn, perpetual economic downturn began, but... Yeah, I didn't actually know that the Mariners got sold recently. That's uh, that yeah, is got, local news for me. They got sold yesterday. Oh, damn. They still have yep. a 10% stake, I think. Yeah, they do well, have a 10% stake. Um, and well, Howard Lincoln, who was um, Minoru Arakawa's kind of right-hand man on Nintendo, um, he he was the uh, the CEO of the Mariners for like 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of Mariners fans don't particularly like him. <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> Pretty aggressive, kind of an iconoclast. Um, some Mariners fans have felt that he took too much control and maybe ran that team into the ground. Um, your mileage may vary. I don't know. In any case, I, I wrote a bit about that. So you can go check that out on the site. 
And pretty soon, um, RPG related, I'm going to be writing about the Witcher 3 expansion, Blood and Wine. I'm going to be writing about um, Valkyrie Profile. I got some, uh, I got a, and I got a Hajime Tawata interview going up. So got a few things that I will be posting relatively soon. So keep an eye on the site over at usgamer.net. In the meantime, um, Nadia, Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. No problem. Um, yeah. It's been fun talking about RPG boss fights, and maybe we'll kind of expand on this um, a little bit going forward. Sure. We'll see. But Steve, um, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure. Yeah, it's always fun. I've been Kat Bailey. Until next time, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.